Okay, good morning everyone. Good to see you all. If you don't, haven't met me, my name is Stuart. I'm the leader of the church here. Very warm welcome. If you have a Bible, could you go to the book of Exodus? In the beginning of your Bible, chapter 20. We'll be going to read there in just a moment. Um, if you're joining us here today for the first time, let me kind of just remind you sort of where we've come from in this um, series. We're on the final part of our series entitled Free to Live which we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. We finish it today. Next week, we head into the Christmas season. I think it's a month tomorrow till Christmas Day, 25th tomorrow. And we'll be starting from next Sunday looking at our Christmas Carol series, which will roll us down to Christmas time. But what we do today is we're going to round out what we've been looking at the Ten Commandments. Ten Commandments, 300 words or so um, in our English translations. We've had a massive impact on society, particularly in the West, civil law and how society has been built but those commands have come from the mouth of God himself to his people and they've been used throughout the centuries to train God's people in how they should live and we've looked um, over the past few weeks over the purpose of this law and then applied each law to our um, own personal lives and the law had a purpose these things that God gave us it was to show us how to live it was also to restrain um, bad behavior, strain, restrain sinful behavior, because if you know there's a law that's preventing you doing something and you, you know there's a punishment attached to it, then you are less likely to break it. We don't drive fast around here because there are speed limits and speed cameras and you could get points on your license. So the law holds us back. But the biggest purpose of the law was to show us our need of a savior. Because when we look at the law, Particularly in the form of the Ten Commandments, we suddenly realize that we cannot keep it. We cannot match up to these standards, which make us realize that we need someone outside to help us. And as we've looked at the Ten Commandments, we've always finished with going back to Jesus, who is the one who sums up the law perfectly. He kept it completely. He fulfilled it. And through him, we too can hold the law. But the law was given to God's people. But when we look at the context in Exodus, if you read it in that chapter 20, if you go back a few chapters, you realize that God had already chosen to free his people who were in captivity in Egypt through Moses, led them out of slavery through the, they had the plagues and then you had the Red Sea and then they come to the Mount Sinai where God speaks to them and gives them the commands that we've been looking at. So in the context for us is that these were given to people who were already free. That's why we entitled the series, Free to Live. It begins with freedom. We don't keep the Ten Commandments. We don't look at them as a way of earning God's favor or his goodness or his pleasure. We already have that because we are his free people. He has already chosen to redeem us, buy us out of slavery for the context. It was the Israelites in slave, uh, slavery in Egypt under Pharaoh. For us now, we were slaves to sin, the Bible says, but we have been redeemed from that as we've chosen to repent, put our faith and trust in Jesus. And so we are now free to live and the commandments give us an indication of what that looks like. They point us in that direction. This is how we should be living as God's free people. Now the series so far, we've looked at the previous nine commandments and they're broken up into two sort of sections to tables of the law. The first table of the law are what we would call vertical commandments. They're about our relationship with God. They talk about having no other gods and loving him, about worshipping in the right way, honouring his name and keeping his day. 
And so they're all um, vertically focused towards God. The second table of law, which are the final six commandments, are very much about how we relate to one another. It begins at home with our parents who we are to honour and therefore all authority over us we honour. And you get that we are to preserve life, to seek sexual purity, to honour God with our possessions. And last week we look at about speaking truth. And so they're about loving our neighbour. And Jesus beautifully summed it up when he was challenged. What's the most important commandment? He simply said, you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, might and strength. That's the first four. And then he finished by saying, you are to love your neighbour as yourself, which is the second six commandments, second table of the law. And so what we've got today is the final commandment, commandment number 10. And can we put it up on the screen, Joel, and we will have a read of what this is. If you've got it in your Bible, you can follow along. It says, you shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. Okay, the final command. This might be the last in the uh, list, but it is most definitely not the least. And there is a sting in the tail of these commands. It is an unusual command in that it is an internal rather than an external command. If you look at the previous commands, they have an external dynamic first. So take the one about murder. You are not to murder. There's the external dynamic, but as we looked at it, we found there was an internal one when Jesus talked about us just being angry and hating our neighbor was as bad. And so there was the, inter- the external and the internal. This one doesn't even bother with the external. It goes straight to our hearts. It goes straight and pinpoints the problem with all of us is that we are all guilty. We will have sinful tendencies, and this is a matter of the heart. You cannot hide from this commandment. Some of the other ones, if you have a surface reading, you can hide from them. I've never killed anyone. I haven't committed adultery. I'm okay. This command will not let you do that. It will go straight and deal with your heart because it deals with what's on the inside. It deals with what we want to do, not what we actually do. It's about inward obedience. It's about the desires of our heart. It's about where we find our satisfaction. And I think it's interesting that this one comes last because this one is really, I think, addressed to good, upright people, like the people we find in church. It's not addressed directly to wicked rogues out there doing bad things, breaking the law, committing those crimes. It's the people who think they are all right and they've got things sorted and we're not outwardly doing any bad things. It's the final commands that convinces us that we are completely and totally inherently Sinful, right in our hearts. Someone, as I was talking to about, as we're doing this series, they come up to me and they talked about this commandment because they knew it was coming. And they described it as the middle class commandment because it deals with people who look great on the outside, yet inside we are always deeply flawed and always wanting a bit more. A little bit of better house, a little bit better car. And I was kind of arrested by that and it stuck with me. It convinces us all, no matter your background, no matter your situation, We are all in need of a saviour. And it questions where we find our satisfaction. Where do we find our longing? Where do we find our desires? The theologian John Piper wrote, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. Which points us to where we're going today. So I'm going to look at what, the why and the how of this commandment. Number one, the what. 
We are told not to covet. That's the essence of the commandment. So what does that mean? Covet means to crave after something that belongs to someone else. Wanting something that someone else has. Others have described it as this. We often want the wrong thing in the wrong way at the wrong time for the wrong reason. Someone else said this. Coveting is what causes that little twinge of disappointment whenever someone else gets what we want. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, this is searching stuff. Now, let's be clear. Having desires is not bad. In fact, having desires... Uh, can be good and right and expected of us. We read in the Bible, um, Sarah and Hannah, two ladies, one in Genesis, one in 1 Samuel, wanted children. And we know children are a blessing from God and that was the desire of the heart and they weren't rebuked or corrected and actually God fulfilled those desires. They had children. There was nothing wrong with that. Jesus, we know himself, got hungry and thirsty at various points, it says in the gospel. So he had desires for physical sustenance, food and water. Nothing wrong with that. The Song of Songs talks about sexual intimacy between a husband and a wife, and that is to be pursued. So there's nothing wrong with wanting your spouse in that way. Proverbs tells us that we are to work hard and we are to plan our future and and give time and energy and diligence to that. So there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a job, earn money, have a home to provide. Those desires are good. We are told in uh, Ephesians 5 that we are to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So there is a desire there that we are to pursue in going after God and his Spirit. Nothing wrong with that. It says in 1 Corinthians 14 that we are to desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy, Paul says. Nothing wrong with desiring those things. The problem is not that we desire them, it's we desire the wrong things or sometimes good things in the wrong way. Now this verse shows us, if we read it, there are all kinds of things to cover. There's actually quite a comprehensive list. If we compare it with some of the commands of literally we just looked at, they're quite specific. You shall not commit adultery, you shall not commit murder. That's it. This one goes into detail. And in my reading of it, it felt like God was just closing loopholes. Because he started with, you shall not cover your neighbor's house. And you're like, fine, I won't cover the house. Then he actually, it's the only command I think he is actually repeated because he immediately says, oh, you shall not cover your neighbor's wife. And you're like, ah, oh, darn, housewife. Okay, there's still plenty of other things. Then he keeps going. Male servant, fine, I won't cover the male servant. Oh, all the female servants, let's just cover all of that. All the ox, all the donkey. And then you think, fine, I won't cover his ox or donkey. Any of you got oxes or donkey? Not coveting them. Then it says, or anything, darn, that is your neighbor's. All the loopholes just suddenly get closed, no matter how we, we think about it. And the, the servants and the ox donkey kind of point to their wealth, the income. So you've got their home, you've got their relationship with their wife, and then you've got kind of anything to do with wealth, possessions, income, all that sort of stuff is all covered. And then in the end, it just is like anything else, anything that I haven't mentioned, covered. You shall not covet. And this is a comprehensive list, and this translates for us today. What's it mean for us to covet or what can we not covet or what's those things we we go after? What sort of things do we pursue, we desire? And the list, I started writing it, suddenly got very long. We can desire homes and houses. We can desire other people's. We look at their home, their house and say, 
Their house is bigger than mine, better than mine, in a nicer location. It's been newly remodeled, decorated. It's got the nicest appliances or spaces. And we cover and we desire what does not belong to us. What about the car? Their car is bigger and better and newer and faster and it has mod cons and heated this and air con that and connections from my iPhone and da-da-da-da-da. And suddenly we're thinking about bigger and better cars to drive. What about the jobs? I wish I had their career, their job prospects, their opportunity. It's better than mine. They've got a better perks than their job, better holidays. All those kind of things. Easier commute on them. What about relationships? I want their husband, their wife, theirs better than mine. They treat their spouse more nicely than mine does. They look better, they're older, they're younger, whatever it is. I wish I had their salary. I wish I had their income. I wish we earned that much more. They, they earn more than us. They've got more money than we have. What about family, extended family? They've got much nicer extended family than mine. My family's messed up with all sorts of stuff going on. I like the look of their family. I'd rather have their family than mine. What about opportunities? They've got a great job promotion. They've got career advancement. They're going up the ladder faster than I am. They've got some sort of favor at work or whatever it is. More opportunities to travel and go places. I don't have those. I want what they've got. That family, they want a lovely holiday to some exotic location and I see the great photos on social media. We had to go and stay with the in-laws. Now that was my holiday. I want that. I want what they've got over there. What about a position of authority and influence? They've got this influence at work. They've got this recognition. They get this stuff. I don't get this. In my work, I'm overlooked. But in their work, they seem to have a lot of good stuff coming their way. What about their friends and influence in their friendship group? They're in the in crowd. They're with the popular people. I'm not. I'm on the outside. I want what they've got. I want to be like them. I want it to be in their group. And that's kind of, kind of how life can work. But actually, this also infects us in the church. It's immune in any way, shape or form. I wish I had their position of influence. I wish I had their authority. I wish I could do what they're doing. I wish God was blessing me the way that he's blessing them. God seems to have answered their prayers about that. He hasn't answered my prayers about this. And I want what they've got. I want to be gifted like that person, be able to sing like that person, play like that person, speak like that person, have that person's influence over others. I want that for myself. And there's nothing wrong with noticing what others has. In fact, it's actually impossible to avoid. We all see it. We can't avoid that. But when we don't stop and give thanks to God for God's blessing on others, we stop giving thanks to God for what he's done in our own lives. And so we end up wanting what they've got and not being satisfied with what we have. And the Bible sees this as an incredibly serious sin. Coveting at the end, you might kind of feel like it's, well, it's not as bad as murder, it's not as bad as breaking your covenant, committing adultery or anything like that. But actually, the Bible has got a lot to say about this. Jesus himself said, For within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultering. Well, they're bad. And then coveting, he said, along with wickedness, deceit, envy, slander, pride, and foolishness. All these come out from within and they defile a person, said Jesus. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, said Paul to the church in Colossae. 
And we've seen over the series that these commands can have a negative and a positive dynamic. Sometimes some commands are stated positively, honor, do. Some are stated negatively, do not do that. This is a negatively stated commandment, do not covet. But a positively way of stating the same commandment is to be satisfied. Be satisfied with what God has given you. Be satisfied with where God has placed you. Be satisfied with the blessings God has brought into your life in the here and now. And so we are to be a set people who are satisfied in God with everything he's done for us. Let's look at the next bit, the why. Why is this so serious? What is behind this commandment? Why did this make God's top ten as he speaks to us today? There are three quick things I want to go through to kind of underline that for us. The first one, why is coveting so serious? Why is coveting so bad? Well, the first one is that it it causes us to be dissatisfied with God. It causes us to be dissatisfied with God. When we want something that belongs to something else, we're saying to God, I'm not happy with what you've given me. When we want something that belongs to someone else, we're saying to God, I'm not happy with what you've given me. Our ungodly desire there leads to discontentment and dissatisfaction with God. We're effectively saying, God, you are not big enough or good enough to take care of me. You don't know what I need or what I want because you are not meeting them. You are not providing for me in the way I think you should. And therefore, you do not care for me. And what it revolves around is us thinking God is unloving and uncaring. We end up acting like a spoiled child who wants something bigger and better than what they've got. And if you've got kids or you've been around kids, you've seen this. I've seen this in my children. I've seen this recently when we, we have a, a, a prayer group at the school where my kids go and some of the parents bring in the kids who are, just, who are preschoolers. You get out all the train track and all the, the trains and one kid picks up Thomas. What does every other child want? Thomas. Don't worry, we've got Gordon and James and all the other ones I've forgotten their names of. They all want the same one. When we get out the Paw Patrol... One child picks up Chase, and everyone wants Chase. Everyone wants that one because they just they haven't got it, so they want what someone else has got. And you think you see it in children, and you suddenly realise it happens in adults as well. We see it in teenagers who like to sulk when they haven't got their own way or got what they want. And actually, it's like we do that as well. We're just as bad as they are. We think God owes us something. God owes me something. He hasn't met my needs because he hasn't given me what I want. And in doing so, we can lose sight of the biggest and greatest gift he's ever given us, which is the Lord Jesus Christ. We lose sight of that. The fact, if, if no other material or earthly need was ever met, we still get him. We still get him who came to earth as a man, lived the perfect life, died on the cross, rose from death victorious and saved us and gave us all that we have a hope a security a future and we can lose sight of that when we cover after other things second thing it causes us not to love our neighbors jesus summed up the second table of the law love your neighbor as yourself love those closest to you love those around you now we read the parable of the good samaritan and and the the, the neighbor is broadened to everyone but it begins with those close to you because they're the ones we have most interaction with and if you read that command 
mentions it again and again, neighbor, 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 these closest to you. And if we are coveting after them, we end up not loving them. Because all we're thinking about is, I want what you've got. I want something better than myself, and therefore I'm not thinking about how I can love them, how I can serve them, how much God has done in their life. I'm too busy thinking about my own desires being fulfilled rather than looking at them and thinking, how can I love them? How can I serve them? Look at the amazing things that God is doing in their lives. It becomes nigh on impossible to love them. It becomes nigh on impossible to pray for them. It becomes nigh on impossible to serve them, to speak well of them because they have something I want. And that consumes us, that drives us. All our attention is focused inwards on us and what we want rather than outwards on others and serving and loving them. And the final, some ways most devastating thing that coveting causes us to do is coveting causes us to commit other sins. Coveting causes us to commit other sins. If you read 1 Kings 21, there is an account of the king king of Samaria and his name was Ahab and so if he was a king he had lots he had more wealth and more land and more servants than anybody else in the kingdom but next to his palace there was a man a godly man named Naboth and he had a vineyard that he owned and the king Ahab looked at the vineyard and decided he wanted it he liked it it was a really good vineyard it produced good fruit and it was right next to his palace so it's convenient location 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 so he went to Naboth and said, I'm going to buy your vineyard from you. I have plenty of money. I can pay the going rate. In fact, I can pay more than that. But Naboth was a godly man. And he knew that he couldn't sell the land because the land he'd been given was an inheritance from the Lord when the Israelites had taken the promised land. And it belonged in his family for all the generations. So I can't sell this. This isn't for me. This is for my family that comes after me. This is our inheritance. This is our land. In fact, the Lord forbids me from selling it. But Ahab wanted the land. He went into a sulk like a teenager. Then his wife came in, his evil wife, and hatched a plan. Jezebel was her name. And she said, I'll get that. You want that? I'll get that. And Ahab consented. And so she brought some guys together, paid them, and they made false accusations against Naboth. They said he was blaspheming the Lord. He was put before a council and he was sentenced to death. And then the king took the land that he was previously going to pay for so the coveting the desire of the king led to lying left to theft led to murder of a godly man now the end of the story is Ahab and his wife faced God's judgment but their coveting their desire led to many many more sins and many more commandments broken if you go to Joshua chapter 7 we looked at this as a church um, you find a man named Achan and the Israelites were entering the promised land that God had given them. And they said, I've given you this entire land. It is an incredible place. There is space to spread out, to settle. It's described as flowing with milk and honey, which means it has limitless resources. You can plant, you can grow food, you can put your cattle on the land. You've got this great place that has everything for you. And as they entered the land, they went to the first city they came across was Jericho. Famous story. And God says, in response to you, me giving you everything, Jericho's mine. You can have everything else. I'll take Jericho. And the, they did the marching round. Walls come down. They went in, took Jericho. And everything from Jericho was given to the Lord. And the Lord said, you can have everything else. But one of the Israelites, a man named Achan, went into the city. And it actually says... 
when he says, when I saw among the spoil a beautiful coke, cloak um, and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold weighing 50 shekels, it says, then I coveted them and took them. His coveting led to theft, theft from God in this situation. And if you read through the story, it led to the defeat of Israel in battle, people dying. And ultimately, his sin was exposed and he faced the judgment for his sin. And if you start at the bottom of the commandments and go work your way back up them, coveting leads to breaking of all the other ones as you move up the commandments. People who covet end up lying. They end up taking things that do not belong to them. They end up committing adultery because they're pursuing a person who is not their spouse. They end up taking lives, as we've seen in the stories here, and not honoring authority above them. And then obviously beyond that, they end up dishonoring God and all his commands as well. So why is coveting so serious? Because it just leads all the way back up the commandments to dishonoring God and causing so much other pain, hardship, and sin. It is incredibly serious, the attitudes of our heart. And the strange dynamic for us is it's all internal. We never get to see it so much. But we know it's there. I spoke to someone yesterday and they said, they said to me um, in a refreshing display of honesty, I said, what are you doing? I said, we've got the 10th commandment, it's about coveting. And they looked straight at me and said, oh my goodness, I struggle with that one. And I thought, okay, you wouldn't know because we're just talking. It's not like you're carrying knives around to stab people and kill them or anything. No, she just said, no, this one, it's just, it's there. I want what isn't mine. I want other things. And so for all of us, we have that same kind of desires in our hearts to go after things that do not belong to us. So first of all, there's a few things I want us to do to kind of to respond to this. But let's diagnose ourselves. Let's look inward. Now, some of you, God's good. So he's already been working in your hearts and exposing things and you're thinking, getting uncomfortable but let's just make it worse and for those of you for those of you who don't know are sitting there in blissful ignorance maybe this will help you discern the thoughts and attitudes of your heart okay here's some questions ask yourself this honestly have you ever hurt someone to get more have you ever stepped over someone stepped on someone to get more at work, for the job promotion, to get the sale, to get with the in crowd? Have you ever hurt someone, spoken ill about them, manipulated situations, omitted truth? So I won't say that, that makes them look good, just so I can kind of get ahead and make more and be in a better situation because you desired the end goal. Second question, are you preoccupied with making and accumulating more? Where do your thoughts go, kind of when they have that moment when you're not completely concentrating on what you're doing, when you just, they can get to wander for a second, like during a really riveting sermon. Where do they go? What are you, what are they, what are you thinking about? What are you desiring after? What, are you, what is consuming your thoughts? Is it to accumulate and to get more? Is it going to think about what the, the better job, the more money, the better car, the better house, the, this, or is it, is it going after something that is not yours? Next one. Are you, be, are you willing to be generous with what God has given you? 
because this is kind of a counter question. If you are not willing to be generous, it's because you're wanting to hoard things for yourself. If you are willing to be generous, then there's a recognition of understanding going back to, I can't remember which commandment it was, eight, about knowing that everything belongs to God anyway. And we are be generous with the possessions. Are you willing to be generous with your time, with others? Have you been willing to be generous with the skills God has given you? Are you willing to be generous with the resources God has given you? Do you give financially to the local church you're a part of? That's one way of working it out. These are questions to ask yourself. Are you willing to do that? Here's, here's, one, here's the one. Those were bad enough. Here's, some of the, here's another one. Are you able to rejoice with the blessings and the success of others? Especially when it's something you want. Yes? No? <laughs> Not really? Are you able to do it? Because that's a real killer question, isn't it? Are you able to rejoice with the blessings and success of others? Are you willing to rejoice with the answered prayers of others when yours hasn't been? I remember when Melanie and I were trying to move uh, in a previous life and um, we were trying to sell our house. And it, was just, it took months and months and months. And we were trying to work for a local church and it was a 45-minute commute either way. We couldn't, we couldn't move to the town that we were sort of serving. And it took us months and months and months. And someone stood up in church and I think I might have been leading the meeting. Oh, you want to share a story? Great, let's share a story. Let's praise God. And they talked about how they'd put their house on the market and it had sold within like 30 seconds and they'd got twice the asking price and God was going to move them to another house and it was all going to happen like tomorrow. And I was sitting there and like, hmm. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for that. Ble and I had to lead a prayer of response and I can be honest it was not heartfelt in any way because I was just, I was so angry with them. I wanted to just rugby tackle them and just like, but that betrayed my heart. But are we willing to rejoice in the success of others? Here's another one. It's the last one. Is your focus more on what God has done in the lives of others than your own? Is your success, is your focus more on the, what God's done in their life than your own? Where are you, it's basically an attention question. Where are you looking? Because it's easy to look out and see all the things that God's doing out there with them than even within your own home. Social media doesn't help us with this. There are lots of positive things about social media, but there are also lots of negative things to be aware of because sometimes what's displayed on social media is the most idyllic lives in our friends and we spend so much time thinking, man, their lives are amazing, which isn't the truth. But that's what we can pretend to think. Okay, now let's find, there's three things here to, be, to respond to that. Pick yourself up off the floor. Number one, be repentant. Be repentant. Recognize the attitudes and desires of your heart. Recognize the attitudes and desires of your heart and name them before God in humility. He knows them anyway. It's not like it's a surprise for him. And when doing so, be specific. Say, God, I covet this. This is I see that over there. I see that person. I see that and this is this is my heart. Name it before him. Be as specific and honest as you can. Make a commitment to God. I I want to turn away from that. 
I want to, that's what repentance means, just to turn away. I'm going this, I'm designing this, I'm going to go this way. I'm going to turn my heart away. Receive God's forgiveness. Put your faith in trust in what Jesus did on the cross when he died in your place for your sin. Rose victorious from death. Trust him. If you're not a believer here, you need this for your whole life, not just for what we're talking about this morning. If you don't know Jesus for yourself, you need to turn away from living your own life your way and put your faith and trust in him completely. You need to recognize he was who he said he was. God the Son came to earth as a man, lived a perfect life, died in the place on the cross so that you might have life and freedom. I ask you this morning, encourage you, beg you, turn to him. Put your faith and trust in him. And so as people of God, I'll give you a bit of time in a moment to get right with him, but be repentant before God. Second one, be grateful. Live a life that is grateful to God for all that he's done for you. If you know this is an area you're struggling or do something, write, write a list. Get a bit of paper out and just jot down all the things that you can be grateful to God about. And when you get going, if you really take time, you will find they are numerous. Particularly at where we live in our part of the world, in the Western kind of bubble that we live in, where everything is relatively stable, relatively good. I know we've got a general election coming and we're all throw our hands up again, but we have an election and we can vote democratically and it will be honest in the sense of our votes will be counted. They won't might not necessarily be honest, but we can vote and express our opinion. We have so much to be thankful for in that stability. Even just having a church family, we can meet openly and praise God openly is something to be thankful for. Even in your own home, having food and a house and place to live, all these things we can be thankful for. Make it a daily habit. I have a journal that I try and write in every day and I always start, put the day and I write thankful colon and then try and name some stuff just to build this habit because I know in my own heart I can be cynical I can be self-centered, self-absorbed, and so I have to have mechanics to help me get through that. And so I try and daily thank God for things in my life that he has done being tangible. With our boys, every night before we go to bed and we do the kind of bedtime routine, we kind of read a story, read a Bible story, we do prayers, and we always start prayers. What can we be thankful for today? What can we be grateful for God that he's done? And so we're trying to train them to have that heart of thankfulness and um, gratitude in all we have. And we make them be specific. One of them has this habit, thank you God for everything. And we're like, no. True, but not enough. Be, be specific. Go and pick something. So we do that. So be a, let's be a grateful people for all that he's done. Last one. Be satisfied in Jesus. Be satisfied in Jesus. When he summed up the law, the first thing Jesus said, what's the most important thing? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's where it begins. And for us to be a people that combat covetousness and actually looking at the law as a whole, we put our focus on our heart first and foremost on him. In Christ, we were chosen before the foundation of the world. God set his heart upon us before any of this ever existed. He chose us. He caused us to be born again into a living hope. We were dead in our sins. He made us alive in him. We have been forgiven, declared not guilty before God because Jesus has taken the punishment for our sin and we have his righteousness. 
We've been adopted into his family. We're no longer orphans. We have a father in heaven who loves us and cares us and wants good for us. We have unique giftings and callings and we're part of God's family, the church, that we can work this out amongst others like us. We have a a future that is completely secure in him. The law, the, the purpose of the law was to show us we need a saviour. But God didn't just leave it like that. He then provided himself as the saviour to come. And so when we look at our life, we should always go to him first, above the things of this earth that we kind of need to kind of do, do life, food and water and shelter and warmth. We need to go to him first. And he has given us so much. And we are to live a life where we are satisfied in him first and foremost that we get our meaning, our purpose, our understanding in him. And God has saved us. Just like his people he gave the law to, he led them out of slavery. And he says, now you're free. You can live like this, but I'm the one who saved you. He says in Exodus 19, you are my treasured possession. I love you. I'm for you. I have saved you out of slavery in the horrific situation you were in, where you couldn't help yourself. You were hopeless but I saved you because I loved you. I've set my heart upon you, not because you're special or better than anyone else, but because I love you, says the Lord. And so we are to go to him first and be satisfied in him most clearly. And that's how we walk free of covetousness. And actually that's how we walk free in following all the commandments and living our life honoring God. Go back to that purpose, uh, that quote I read at the beginning from John Piper. It says, God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. And as a people, that's where we should put our focus, put our hope. Can the band come up? I'm going to pray, kind of round this out. And then we're going to spend some time worshipping Jesus. If you can, do you want to stand? And let's just do a little bit of business with our Lord. Then we're going to praise him. Maybe you want to just close your eyes, open your hands, and I'm just going to lead us in some prayers um, as that kind of application um, kind of gave us a framework. So the first thing I want us to do now is to be repentant, be repentant people, to recognize the desires of our own hearts, which... Yes, they can be good, and yes, there are good desires to have and godly desires, and we love them, but we also reckon we realize we war with evil desires where we covet things that don't belong to us. God hasn't given us. Maybe not yet, maybe not ever, but that's just where we tend to go. And I want us to take an opportunity now to turn from them. You know what they are, and I would encourage you to speak them out to God. You can do that softly (laughs) under your breath. That's fine. But name them before the Lord. Say, God, this is, these are the things that I've coveted after. These are the things I've pursued. My heart and my mind have gone there rather than to you. So why don't you just do that now? I have good news for you. 
The Bible says when we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, which means if you've confessed them now, you are forgiven. You have been set free. And we can praise Jesus for that. And God gives us new heart and new desires by his spirit. So Holy Spirit of God, I pray you come fill us now with your spirit. Fill us that we might love you, that we might pursue you more fully, more holy in, in our lives. And Lord God, I, I ask you to teach us to be a grateful people. To be grateful for everything we have and we have been given. From starting in this room, from the church you've put us in, from the relationships we have here, the friendships we push out to our families that we're a part of. Thank you for them, for children, for spouses, for brothers, sisters, mums and dads. We praise you for that. We praise you for how you provided for us, homes and, and, and jobs and all the things we have, places to live, homes to go home to that have got food in the cupboards. Thank you for the country that we live in, the stable democratic government we're a part of. Thank you for a healthcare service that we don't pay for, that's just there. We can go and find needs. Thank you for the social system where we get benefits and people look after us. Lord God, we have so much to be grateful for. We thank you that God teach us to be a grateful people for all that you have provided for us. From the food we eat even to the air we breathe, Lord Jesus, you have provided it all, God. Make us people of gratitude, God. And I ask thee, I ask by your grace, make us men and women who are completely and totally and wholly satisfied in you and what you've done. Let that be the foundation on which we walk. Material things are good, but they can go in an instant. We can lose jobs, we can lose homes, we can lose health in just a moment. Things can be taken from us. Our hope is not there, although they are good and enjoyable things. God, our hope is only in you. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you saved us. We thank you that you chose us. We thank you that you've forgiven and adopted us. God, we want to say we love you and we praise you. Teach us what it means to be satisfied with who you are and all that you've done. Your endless mercy, your endless love, your endless grace poured out on us. That we enjoy for this moment, but actually in eternity we will see it in its fullness and enjoy it forever with you and all the saints together. We thank you for that. We thank you for your eternal sovereign care for us. And Lord God, we pray that as we become more satisfied in you and what you've done, you in turn will be more glorified in us. That we will shine your glory out to this world and to the people around and they would know that you are good, that you are real, that you are alive. As we head into the last kind of few weeks of the year and we focus on a baby in a manger, people would see that and recognize that is the one true living God came to earth to save his people. Lord Jesus, we want to say we love you, we praise you, and God's people said...